So why does the church need a vision message? Why do we even need to talk about mission and vision? Let me tell you why, because we're prone to be stagnant, we're prone to be comfortable, and we're prone just to live our life inside the boundaries that make us feel comfortable, that fulfill just our needs, but deep inside, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that God's calling us to more, amen? We know deep down that we need to be shaken out of what we're doing because we're just getting into routines, following God's becoming duty. We're not seeing people change. We're not seeing ourselves change. So we just want to get into 24-7 drim drum, drip drab. What is that word? I don't know what it is. You guys know what I mean. Just the cycles of I'm just going to make it. God's speaking things in our hearts. He's trying to change us, our lives. He's calling us to witness to people. He's calling us to trust Him. He's calling us to make changes. He's calling us to step out in faith. But the world seems so comfortable, doesn't it? Our life seems so comfortable. Our dreams seem so much more fulfilling than the Great Commission. But Jesus keeps calling us and saying, I have more for you. I'm calling you out of that. I'm calling you into that. I'm calling you to walk in this. I'm calling you to spend time with that person you don't want to spend time with. I'm calling you to share the gospel with that person. I'm calling you to step up and use your gift in church. I'm calling you to more for my glory. That's what vision does. And Proverbs says that people perish because of lack of vision. If our vision for our church, if our vision for our church If we adopt culture's vision is attending on Sunday morning, then we will not fulfill the Great Commission. Yes, it's a wonderful thing, and we should. You know, the scriptures say attend to worship on Sunday morning. But worship on Sunday morning is just an extension of work, worshiping 24-7 Monday through Saturday. Right? It's just an extension of that. You know the primary reason we're here? For the glory of God. To make his name the most in our lives, to show his worth, to do what we were created for. We gather on Sunday to serve him with worship and the secondary things we are served through the word and we serve each other through encouragement, right? It all flows out of God. But what's supposed to, it's supposed to supercharge us on Sunday as we magnify God to go out and live the great commission. Now, what I don't want to do is give another church vision message that has like a globe spinning in the back, like we're going to change the world and something's glittering off my collar. I don't want to do that today because they're selling you snake oil. They're selling you snake oil. Because the way you change the world is living out the Great Commission in your locale. They're teaching you to dream in places you want and teaching you to dream with people you don't even know and to love them when God's calling you to love the people who are in your life. Amen? It's snake oil. Be a world changer. Right? Everyone's fighting to be the famous one. And you get there and you say, this is nothing. This doesn't fulfill me because I'm not meant to be an object of worship. I'm meant to worship the greatest. And we die when we make ourselves objects of worship. But God's calling us to live out the great commission in our locale. He's given each of us. Please hear this. Sometimes we just think the pastor or the people up front, they're the gifted ones. He has given everyone through the power of the Holy Spirit in here gifts to use to advance the gospel through Restoration Road to the people we're called to, amen? 
I pray today that some of those gifts that are within you, that he's put within you, that those start coming to the top because that's what we need for a movement of the Spirit to see people's lives changed. We need to get out of checking in from 10 to 11. And that's fantastic. I'm not diminishing that. But see that as juice to use our gifts to be sent out to our workplaces, our families, our towns, the locations we are, to the broken, to the people God's calling to us, and live like Jesus in those dark places and bring light. Because that's what a church is called to do. That's why the Holy Spirit birthed church. He caused Restoration Road five years ago. He birthed a new church. And he birthed it for a reason. Not just, there's plenty of locations to go and worship on Sunday. There's plenty of locations to go and worship. And we don't need another church that says they're doing it right. Oh my goodness, every church on every corner, we got it right now. (laughs) Give me a break. None of us have it fully right, but we're all doing our best. God births new churches to reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ till they are changed, so they're converted, so they grow in Christ, and so everyone uses their gift to change the location. Wakefield should be affected by Restoration Road being in it. Stoneham, Redden, Lynn, Peabody, wherever you're from, should be affected because you guys are going into those locations and living like Jesus. That's why it says we're salt. You know what salt does? It preserves It tastes good. Christians should be the preservers of their towns and their cities and their workplaces. They should be the lights in the darkness. When people see you in the workplace, do they see that light shining? Do they see that kindness? Do they see that forgiving person? Or do they see just that person who's just another person gossiping trying to get up the ladder at their workplace? Men, when those filthy conversations happen in your workplace, around your friends, do you partake in it? As if you're not called to be holy? Or do you walk in righteousness and people start getting uncomfortable? I love making people uncomfortable. It's, it's fun. I'm telling you, one time I was in a workplace and the dude brought me in. I, I was working, I was an apprentice in a, uh, I'm totally sidetracking, but I feel I should. Gillette Factory apprentice, this dude, he was like, come in here, man, I want to show you something. He had just went to, uh, down to South America. And I turned out, I found out he went to a new beach, okay? So he had these pictures in his hand. And he was like, Joey, come over here, brother. I'm going to let you in on something. And I said, put those down right now. Put the pictures down. I'm a Christian man. I don't do that. Do you know what happened to him in that moment? Within a week, I was praying for him and his family. Because you know what? You're just speaking in a place where the Holy Spirit's already working on someone's heart. Amen? God's going to bring you with someone. See, we can't change people. But what we can do is meet them in the place where the Holy Spirit's changing them. You just drop a seed, mess up their life, and move on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I say that because I want you to realize that God has given you power, not in himself, but in his name and the gospel. In the power of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of it, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And those who are called according to his name will be saved when you live out the gospel in word and deed. And I don't want us to think some big grand vision, right? It is big, but it's upside down kingdom, so it's not big the way we think. Like Jesus says, the last will be first. If you want to be the greatest, wash someone's feet, you know? If you want to be rewarded, don't do it so everyone cheers for you. Do it in secret. You know, that, that's the kingdom. So I'm going to use one of my favorite movies that I didn't watch this holiday. And I'm feeling guilty about it. It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, that's one of my favorite movies for a reason because it tells almost a kingdom story. Okay? Everyone knows George Bailey. If you don't, go home and watch it. It's part of the criteria of coming here on Sunday mornings. 
But George Bailey had these dreams, and his dreams were to travel the world, was study in different places. He looked at it as a grand dream, but it was all away from where he was. He was charismatic. He was good-looking. He was gifted. He had some gifts. He said, I'm going to travel the world. He had all these magazines showing, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of this God-forsaken town. But what happens is, did a bird just take off off that window? Okay. We must be preaching good because birds are hitting the building. <laughs> but George Bailey, through a few circumstances, his father passed away and he had to take over his father's small business. And he had to go through the, that's it, humdrum of every day. Same people, same places, same business, same problems. I want to get out of this. But what people don't realize is we're the problem. So you go there, the problem's still there. Everyone's like, I get out of this. The problem, then you get there and say, I got to get out of here. And you don't see the pattern. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Sidetracking. But what I'm saying is, George Bailey had to stay there. And he looked at his life every day. He looked at the people he was loving, um, the people he was caring for, the routines, the going through every day. And he said, I wasted my life. He felt like I wasted my life. It's not worth anything. I could have been something, but I'm nothing. I had all these dreams, but here I am in this small town. No one knows me. I didn't travel the world. I'm in the same routines. I missed it. I missed it. My, my, my life's worth nothing. I'm heading to the bridge. Some of you mentally been at the bridge. Sat at the bridge like, man, it's not worth it every day to do this. But then... The great angel Clarence, you'll find him in Proverbs. The great angel Clarence comes to show him a lesson about his life. And what I want you to hear today, because some of us have watched the movie, hopefully many of us. Someone tell Abby it's the other door. She might not get in. (laughs) He went through and he showed where people's lives would be if he wasn't living the way he was living and loving them. Some of his friends would have been in an insane asylum. Some of his friends would have been drunks. A tyrant would have taken over the town because he wasn't willing to work for that small business that gave loans to families for them to get houses. His brother would have never been a war hero because he wasn't there to save his life. And he realized he was actually living a great and powerful life because he was living and loving his neighbor in the location he was. The snake oil is you're supposed to live somewhere else loving people. And if I only got there, then I'd really live and follow God. The reality, if you really want to change your world and the world, is loving people and living out the Great Commission right where you are. Amen? And let me tell you, it ain't exciting all the time. It ain't exciting all the time. That's more snake oil. Get up, be happy every day, love your life, post happy thoughts. Psychologically, it's not even healthy to be happy all the time. You need a balance. I'm telling you, I watched a lecture yesterday. He was saying, people who are too happy get themselves in trouble. Because you walk out in your happy place, and the world has horror all around. When a broken world, walk around like, ha, 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 ha. I don't... 
that's crazy. I want to get a laugh out of Dennis. But you need to be balanced. You need to sacrifice. Most days I wake up, I'm thinking, here we go again. I've got to do the right thing. Do you guys feel like that when you do the right thing? Here we go again. I've got to lay down my life. Husbands, you want to live out the Great Commission? Love your wife. Shovel that driveway in minus three degree weather to the glory of God. Help with the homework. <laughs> right? I keep a distance from the homework. You understand me? I kind of look at the table just in case there's needs. Because when I help, you get it wrong at school anyways. But to live out that great commission right where we are is what I want you to hear today. The vision is a small church family that lives out the great commission in its locale. And if you turn with me to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. In the words of Jesus right here. I'm going to give you two seconds to get there with your Bibles. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want to hit three things. What is the Great Commission? What role do we play in the Great Commission? And what does that look like specifically? Some details for this church. Be thinking what we're called to do. So the first thing with the Great Commission, we've got to ask ourselves, we don't build a vision of the church on our desires. We, built them, we build them on what King Jesus, his marching orders. What are his marching orders? And an important point that, this is ridiculous, that it didn't really hit me till recently about this. It's called a co-mission, meaning it's a cooperative effort. This isn't a solo mission. It's a co-mission where we need to work with each other, use our gifts, fight for each other, be on mission together to see this mission accomplished. So I want to hit some elements in the Great Commission, and I'll give the simple definition to make disciples of Jesus that convert people to worshipers of Jesus and obeyers of Jesus and in turn make more disciples of Jesus. So we have a, de- a working definition around here for discipleship. It's someone who worships Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, learning to obey Jesus and teaching others to do the same. But I want to highlight a couple of things out of the Great Commission. The first one is worship. And you've got to be careful with this one with following Jesus. Because this is where you can get into the motions when it comes to following Jesus and forget it's about worship. With, once again, means worth-ship. You will worship what you say in your heart is worth it all. Okay? That can be other gods. That can be material things. That can be people. Whatever in your life you say that is worth it all, that is worth my time, that is worth my energy, that is worth my sacrifice, that is worth my thought, whatever that is, you will put your life around your object of worship. I mean, you will sacrifice, you will suffer, you will do this, you will lift it up. If it doesn't go right, you find your identity in it, so you're down. Okay? We were made to be worshipers, so whatever is worth it all, we will give everything for. 
And that can be good things. We can make our kids objects of worship. We can make them worth it all, right? When we need to worship God first, and when we worship him first, it flows out to loving our kids with everything we are. We can make money worth it all. Do you see people who money is everything? They're miserable, right? But they say it's worth it. It's worth it. The suffering, the getting up early, the traffic, the study, the school, the education. It's worth it all. I'm going to just suffer for money because it's worth it all. So that's what you worth it. worship. Once again, nothing wrong with money when it's in its right place. But these things can elevate themselves to places of worship. Because we in our hearts say it's worth it all. And you can tell what someone worships by where they spend their most time, where they give their most money, and what they use their gifts for. Okay? So part of the Great Commission is calling people to convert to worshipers of Jesus. Because everyone's worshiping someone, something. I'm telling you, they're coming for us. I'm preaching truth right now. It's all the ice is coming down. All right. we're calling people right to stop worshiping other things and worship jesus we're trying to convert worshipers because everyone god has made us to worship you will devote yourself we will devote ourselves to something ultimately and what the great commission is doing you see at the beginning what all the disciples do they bow down and worship jesus so this year in 2018 i believe Many of us, we're worshiping God with everything we got. By the grace of God, it's nothing in us. But some of you, God is calling to a deeper level of worship. I mean, he's calling you and saying, those things aren't worth it. I am worth it all. Worship me. And then the desires of your heart will truly be met. We're trying to convert people, convert worshipers that say this. Everyone in Restoration Road should say, Jesus is worth it all. Jesus is of greatest worth. Following him is of greatest worth. Sacrificing for him is of greatest worth. Fulfilling his great commission is of greatest worth. Secondly, we're trying to teach, what did Jesus say? And I think this is important in the hyper-grace movement. In the hyper-grace movement is grace, grace with the double grace on the end. You believe you have a license to sin. This is what Apostle Paul preached against and said, I'm not preaching grace so we have a license to sin. I'm preaching grace so you can walk in obedience and when you fall, Jesus can lift you up. Jesus says, teach them everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey. Now, through Jesus' earthly ministry, he was teaching the ethics of the Christian faith, the ethics ethics of love, how to love people, how to lay down your life, how to be a servant, how to be great. He's teaching them, and he's saying, go on and teach others to obey. This needs to be a mark of us in 2018, not hyper grace. That is not biblical grace, but biblical grace that's working towards obedience to Jesus, because to obey God is to love others. I want you guys to hear this. You ever hear people saying, I'm not hurting anyone by sinning? I ain't hurting anyone, just messed up right by myself. I just talk Southern. I don't know what happened. He said, I'm not hurting anybody. But every time we disobey a command of God, we're either grieving the Holy God or we're hurting our neighbor. Every time. I was following a guy in a car. I wasn't following him, but I was behind him. 
right? Oh, actually, it was right down here on the main drag. And he decided to break the law right in front of me. He pulled a U-turn right on the street and just pulled off. Now, he made it all clean. Three cars around him hit each other. And he just drove off like, you know how we do. That's what sin does. We act like we're not hurting anyone, but the trail behind us is messing up people's lives. When we steal, that hurts others. If you look at the Ten Commandments, most of them are about loving your neighbor. Don't steal, don't covet, don't lie, don't be a false witness. Obey your mom and dad. Those are all related to loving others because when we disobey God, we hurt others. And some of you, I want to call you this year, abdication and the sin of omission of not answering the call of God to use your gifts for the glory of God with all your might, it hurts the community. And I want to call you this year in 2018. It's time. It's time to be obedient and obey the call of God and walk in righteousness and have the right motivation, love, to love our neighbor. This is what I want to hear. We obey to love our neighbor, Right? When we planted the church, the vision was, I want to be obedient to the calling to plant this church because I know that many people will be loved through this church. And I heard a, a prominent preacher this week talk about his motivations for not um, sinning. And he gave all these motivations. And he said, the ultimate thing is, I don't sin against people I love because I love them, not because of the consequences of that. And so I want us to think about what that looks like, where the Holy Spirit is calling you to be obedient this year to see people's lives changed. Now, how do you do discipleship? Has anyone ever tell you to talk like somebody or to dress like somebody or to act like somebody? You know why you dress the way you do? Because the people you hang around with. I'm telling you. Dennis got skinny sweatpants because he's been around Danny a lot. <laughs> for one whole year he mocked Danny but you hang around him with long enough those sweatpants just start getting tighter you can't stop it that's discipleship you just flaunt them around and start saying oh they don't look that bad next thing you know you... <laughs> I'll take myself in high school I used to tuck everything in like sweatpants everything no one else tucked in <laughs> and it didn't hit me to my older that's because I was around Cliffy so much Cliffy will find a way to tuck his t-shirt in. And he'd find a way to roll up his sleeves. Because you're rocking those guns, kid. You've got to roll them up once. So all through high school, I didn't even know why, but my sleeve I, I shouldn't have had them rolled up. There was nothing to roll them up for. But I had them rolled up because I hung around them so much. You ever notice you're not talking like your friends and you can't stop yourself? Once again, I'm around Dennis. I can't say, you know what I'm saying, dog. Like, I can't stop saying that when I'm around him. Because you pick up talking like the people you are around. Discipleship happens naturally when you spend time with people. When you spend time with people, you become like them. That's why Jesus says, do not forsake this family. Because this family is trying to walk in righteousness and holiness. And that's why they call the most qualified men to lead. Because when you've got disqualified men at the top, that community will be corrupt. 
And when the men at the top are walking in holiness and the dads are walking in holiness, it affects the whole family and everyone starts walking in righteousness. And you don't even have to try. I'm telling you, if you hang around this church family in three years, you're going to be different. Because you are who you hang around with. That's why our parents said, don't hang around with that person. Would be, I'm all right. Next thing you know, they're bailing us out of jail. Because that's discipleship. So I want you guys to hear that simple thing, right? How, what role do we play in the great commission to fulfill that as a small church? Our role is to live out that great commission in our locale, which means discipling and caring for the people who are in our lives. You know, there was an article in the Huffington Post of this man who, he ended up traveling the world. He went to impoverished places like Detroit and other places, and he would put in after-school programs to care for the kids. And they asked him, how would you realistically change the world? Because everyone says, I want to change the world, but many times it's not in a realistic way. And it was amazing his four answers. One was, spend time. I want to read these to you. Start with your own family. And that's why we have that Mother Teresa quote out there. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. There's nothing worse, like I've heard people's stories of their dads who they never spent time with them, but then the whole neighborhood said, what do you mean? He spent time with all the other kids in the neighborhood, but he didn't spend time with me. What kind of witness of Christ is it if we're not loving our families first, but we're out in the streets proclaiming the gospel? We go home, we love our families first. We're good dads, we're good moms, we're good sons, we're good daughters, we're good sisters, we're good brothers. And it starts there with our everyday life. But he said that, start with your own family. If you look around, there's always someone in need right around you. Always right around you. We're always looking like, what can I give to? What can... There is someone broken in here that needs you to spend time with them. We're looking too far. It's right here. There are people in here that are lonely and depressed and anxious and need dads to step in to be fathers to the fatherless and mothers to step in to be mothers to the motherless and need your time. That's how you change the world. Would you spend your life here? Spending time with people? Just talking to them? Sometimes just people need someone to talk to. Sometimes just people need a little money around Christmas. Sometimes people just need someone to change their oil because they don't even know what's going on with the car. And there's no one around who does. That's where you live out Jesus. That's how you really change the world. The second thing, rethink your birthday. Because you know how everyone always says, I want to serve, I want to go out and do and serve and, and uh, be at a soup kitchen or be at a homeless shelter to do these things. He said, just decide to do it on your birthday every year. Give it yourself. Because when you do that, every year you'll have, be marked by that and there'll be a specific time that you can change the world. Because he saw this, um, this young girl, her big brother got shot and killed. And she decided that every birthday she would go and spend time at a veteran's soup kitchen. And she'd just give her time there. And the way it changed these veterans' life were phenomenal because she made a difference in the locale. The third one is don't act like you're, act like you're not so chipper self. Like, be who you are. Is there anything worse? You can't change the world not being authentic. You can't do it. You can't do it, man. It's taken me 20 years to shake off this pastoral costume they want me to put on. You don't change people's life by acting the way they think you should act. Be who you are, covered by the grace of God. He's changed you every day if the Holy Spirit's working inside of you. That's why I make sure when you guys ask me some days, how's it going? I'm saying it's going horrible. 
I'm nervous, I'm stressed. I've been doing this so long. I'm, I have been nervous lately, but some days I come here just stressed out, like, man, I got to get up here and talk about God again. And I go home and I say, should I have said that? I'm a pastor. So you know what? Some days I'm tired. Some days I'm amped up. I'm like, you don't understand what God's going to do here. I'm fired up. And we're all happy. But we're not going to have real relationship unless I act like my not-so-chipper self sometimes, right? I'm not talking about sinful ways like you come in like, get out of here. Like <laughs> just being nasty. I'm talking some days we're going through different things, and it's a struggle, and we've we got to be honest. And this little girl did this at this veteran's soup kitchen, and they appreciated it because of what they were going through. Because what they were going through, they said, we've been through so much in our life. Thank you for being honest about who you are, where you are, and why you're here. And so I pray from the top to the bottom, we can be honor and our not-so-chipper self and go through happy times together, go through sad times together, go through victories together, go through defeats together. Because that's how you build relationship. You know the price of relationship? Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the price of relationship. If you don't want to be vulnerable, then you won't be close to people. You will never be close to someone you don't open up to. And that's why I call you this year to open up to your church family and be honest about who you are. And the last one was start a chain reaction. What did Jesus do? He lived a perfectly executed life of loving his location. And I'm still amazed that he didn't say, okay, get me out on the preaching circuit, bring me throughout the world. He said, I trained you, I discipled you, I called you, you go do it. He's teaching us the kingdom of God here. So start a chain reaction about living out the gospel in your location. So finally, the specifics. What are the specifics? How big do we want this church to be? How many people do we want to baptize? How many churches do we want to plant? We'll get there. I was talking to Dave. We went down just talking about these specifics at a conference. And we talked about all these specifics that I want to talk about you, what I think this church family is called to. And get down to some like real tangible things. And I want to tell you two stories before we jump into the exacts. The first one is we were coming home, and we didn't know what exit to take on 95. You know the story, Sarah? It's legendary. So Dave has the GPS, and he's driving. He made it. it all of a sudden turned into this high-stress situation. Which way are we going to go, Dave? I, like, we didn't know. We're on the highway. I felt like we were going to Rhode Island if we took the wrong turn. Dave's flying. I'm going to pass. He's gunning it with the GPS. We're running out of time. Passing Mack trucks. I don't make this stuff up. I said, Dave, why are we flying if we need time to make the exit? And he started laughing at himself. I said, Dave, let's slow down. Get in the breakdown lane. We make some time till the GPS gives us our exit. The reason I tell you that story, because sometimes we feel like that being on the mission of God, it's like we're in a car with a GPS not giving us directions. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Where do we go? Everyone's just stressed out, just talking to each other. We have time. We're going to take this thing nice and slow. That's what Restoration Road has done from day one. When you, when you rush, you hurt people. When you rush, you hurt the mission. We're going to take our time. 
Let God show us the exits and the paths and where to go. And he's going to be with us like the Great Commission says. Amen. I'm with you always. Healthy things grow slowly. Think about everything that grows fast. fast. You don't want it. It's like viruses and weeds. Anything healthy takes a while. You've got to water it. You've got to care for it. You don't rush it. Who comes out in the kitchen and says, why haven't you grown, kid? What's your problem? Why aren't you 5'3 yet? We're hoping Talia hits 5'3. It'll be tough with a dad like me. But healthy things grow slow. The second story is me and Natalie went to an Acts 29 thing. That's a church plan network thing in California. And we're going to meet these prominent pastors like Matt Chandler. They're big, big pastors. And it was kind of cool. I got to talk to Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler and stand there like I was a somebody. It was fun. But we met this couple, and we started talking about our families. And they were like, how many kids you have? We were like, we got two kids. They're like, oh, just two. Just two kids? And Natalie goes off because you know how I told you guys how long it took me. Convinced that I have two. That was like we're having ten. And Natalie's saying, yeah, two, that fits us. That's who we are. Our house is only so big, this and that. And they were like, yeah, well, we have 11 kids because we got the gospel. So we were like a little sweat coming off. (laughs) The reason I tell you this story is because I believe we're called to be a smaller church. That doesn't mean we don't get the gospel. Do you guys hear me? God makes big families, and God makes small families. And he makes us according to our capacity, his will, and our calling. And what we don't do is point at big families and say you're wrong and point at small families and say they're wrong. Amen? We cheer for each other, whatever size God makes our family. And so we'll get to this. I believe God has called us to be a dynamic, small church. When I say a small church, I believe we've got, our, our vision is to grow about to 200 men, women, and children. That's considered a small church. 50 to 200 people is considered a small church. Now, we're never going to turn away people at the door. It's like, dude, we met our quota. Get out of here. Like, we're not going to do that. But what's an important thing in a relationship is you talk about how big the family's going to get because that affects dynamics. Like when I talked to Natalie, we knew I was at three, she was at one, we met at two. If there's any surprises, we'll roll with it. All right? You give a face like that about that? But in relationship, if someone says, I want to have 15 kids, and someone says, I want to have no kids, guess what's going to happen? That relationship's not going to work out, right? Not because you hate each other. That's just not going to work, you know? I'm getting some couples real uncomfortable in here. I love it. So I think, how many people would consider themselves a small church person in here? And you don't have to be, but, you know, I'm a small church guy. Because of the way I'm made. Relationally, I'm not the big crowd guy. I don't know about you guys. How many people are in the big crowd just trying to catch air like, I can't breathe. That's me, <laughs> you know. I believe we're called to be a small church, but here's the key to plant other churches. To be a church of 200 that plants three to five churches over the next 30 years and baptizes 200 people over the next 30 years. Those are the specifics of who I think we're called to be a a church family. I believe we're called to plant churches that have a family feel to them, have a family feel to them, but are baptizing people, converting people, and planting other churches. 
there's strengths of a smaller church, right? I'm a relational pastor. Dave's a relational pastor. In bigger churches, this isn't wrong, but you can't know your pastor. You can't know him on a deep level when there's 3,000 people there, right? It's hard to. He doesn't have that capacity. No one should put that on him. The way I preach, the way Dave preaches, do you notice I use who? People in the church family. Because it matters. I think people in here, like you know we've made a point to reach the broken, to people who are in recovery, or maybe have had a divorce, or maybe been fatherless, and all those kind of things. We named it Restoration Road because we want to reach broken people. Do you know what? Broken people want to be, they're more comfortable around smaller churches where they can have family, where they can know people, where it's not so big and overwhelming. Does that make sense, guys, with the vision? To be a small church family that fulfills the Great Commission in its locale. And I'll close with this. And I know I'm speaking about myself a little bit because I'm the lead pastor, so I get to drive the vision a lot. (laughs) It's just part of my role. But I want to be with you guys. Dave wants to be with you guys through life's ups and downs. That's discipleship. I want to be with you guys when you feel like you doubt your faith and your your faith has never been stronger. I want to enjoy the victories in your life, but be there when mourn because of loss. Because guess what? People die. People go through tragedy. People suffer. And being a church family is not just about going through the good times together. It's about being there through life and trusting God and having faith. I want to celebrate weddings. I'm praying this year is a big wedding year for us. I want to celebrate and be there, me and Dave, when your babies are born. It was a joyful thing. I remember being at Paxton's birth. Dude had more hair than all of us. Somehow it's still mohawk. I might be making that up. But I want us to live life together. You know, a lot of people don't, because they church hop, they don't get to enjoy what it means to really be with a church for a long period of time and say, we walk with Jesus together. I remember that year that we didn't even see you for a year and I came back. I remember when you wanted to give up. I remember when you lost your dad. I remember when you fell back into addiction. We were there by your side when we put you back in that detox. I remember when we went through all of that together. And that's the vision for this church, that we're a church family that loves each other and fulfills the Great Commission. Amen?